This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Massive meeting today, this afternoon. And uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's long overdue. It's long overdue and it's necessary. And I just hope that there's bravery, there's innovation, and there's courage that surrounds that particular meeting today. Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of our country, will meet with all 13 premiers. Um, difficult to get all 13 premiers probably to agree on all the methodology of healthcare. We know 13 premiers signed a document a couple weeks ago telling the prime minister, we've got to do something about bail reform. We've got to do something about parole. We need to do things to make sure violent criminals aren't out on the street um, causing havoc and mayhem. And by the way, killing police officers that happened four times within a couple hours drive of uh, of where we are right now, where I am and likely you are from September forward. People that should not have been out on the street. But today ends up being about health care. And how would I put it? I, I always put it this way when someone says, what do you think of Canada's health care? And I say to them, show me another nation that looks to Canada and says they're doing it the right way. Why don't we do it more like Canada? And I can wait and I can be patient. And if you want to get back to me three Wednesdays from next Wednesday, great. But you're not going to be able to come up with a country. You're not going to be able to come up with a Western democracy that does things like we do. And there's a reason for that. Because we've realized at this point in time that and and the pandemic obviously accelerated that our healthcare is just it just buckled and it collapsed during the pandemic. It wasn't in great shape prior to. So what the premiers want today is Ottawa to increase health transfers, address the problems. Two big things, clearly to me. There's emergency room wait times. Actually there's three. Emergency room wait times, there's surgery wait times and there's staff shortages. Now, you can lay a lot at the doorstep of the premier and maybe other premiers as well. I'm, I'm focused on Ontario. That's where we live, right? That's where we live. That's what we should care about. I thought Bill 124 was obscene. I really did. I, I, I feel for nurses that were suffering underneath it. The idea that you're handcuffed when it comes to renegotiating uh, your contract with your union and you're held to a 1% raise. But I would also make the point that we need to lift up people doing work in those industries. Because healthcare is everything, isn't it? Healthcare is long-term care. Healthcare is emergency rooms. Healthcare is quality of life while you're waiting for a surgery. I gave you the, the number a couple of weeks ago of the amount of people that go to the United States for a surgery within, uh, within a calendar year, over a 12-month span. And it takes away hundreds of millions of dollars, healthcare dollars that we'd be spending here. Because let's face it, We've just got, got it drilled into our brains, and, and I've freed myself from this, and clearly from some of the recent polling, most of you have freed yourself through this, uh, fr- freed yourself from this, that healthcare is free. It's not. We pay for it. We pay heavily in taxes for it. And it also is something today where I hope there's at least an element of discussion about choice. We're not a serious country if we're not talking about options and choice. Nobody wants the status quo anymore. And if you do, I have to question whether you want it for political purposes or you want it because you think that's best for 36 million people or 15 million people in this province. We already have doctors and clinics all across Ontario. 
that offer quicker access to various procedures to patients. And sometimes they have to pay out of pocket and sometimes they want to pay out of pocket as long as it doesn't cut the amount of uh, surgeries and procedures done for others in the public realm. You tell me what the problem with it is. There's plenty of clinics, surgical consultations, gastrointestinal screening, diagnostic imaging. We already know there's executive healthcare clinics in Toronto and they charge thousands of dollars a year for membership. So we already have two tiers. We already have two tiers. We've got to fact check this to some extent. There's enormous room for improvement in our healthcare system. We just have to be brave. We have to have those conversations about it. This is what Doug Ford wanted from Justin Trudeau, and he made this point two weeks ago, and now he's going to get it. Nothing should be more important to the prime minister than meeting with the 13 premiers. That's the bottom line. Um, and then we can sit down and have a proper discussion. You can't keep running for two years uh, away from sitting down with all the premiers. It's just not cutting it. The number one issue in this entire country from coast to coast to coast is health care. And we can't go it alone. We can't go it alone. And the conversation has also shifted. And I, I keep making this point. Can't we do emergency rooms more efficiently? I can get one of those little discs at Applebee's or Kelsey's that buzzes when my table's ready. And yet in an emergency room, we can't come up with technology that's similar. I can look up anything to do with my mortgage on a website. I can't see vaccinations or my previous health visits or look at any of my scans or x-rays or anything. What on earth? Why? I can find out when I need to make my next car payment. I can't find out when the last time I checked and, and had an EKG was or what my blood pressure is or what my cholesterol is. It's amazing. So many countries in Europe have figured this out. So many countries in the Far East have figured this out. And we're stuck on this. Here's Justin Trudeau explaining that he's ready to hear the, the, from the premiers today. Canadians need to, need to see improvements, better results and outcomes, including timely access, access to family doctors no matter where you live, a strong and sustainable health workforce, access in a timely fashion to better mental health care, and access to digital health information that follows them to any health professional they see. This morning, I invited the Premiers to join me in Ottawa on February 7th for a working meeting on health care. So that was a week ago. We'll have, uh, of course, lots of details, reaction when the 13 premiers and the prime minister and I'm sure the various health ministers leave that particular meeting. And, uh, and we'll have a full recap on Toronto Today tomorrow. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We've got a lot to get to with our next guest. It is certainly um, time to... Uh, dot some I's, cross some T's when it comes to the city budget. Um, Toronto's budget has been much debated, probably as much as it has been in my lifetime. And I don't know that next year's will be any different. Um, you've got the mayor talking about looking at new revenue sources. I think many city councillors, many community advocates are doing the same thing. And we've got this mismatch interacting together of of the homeless population, of the weather, of the TTC, of police funding. Josh Matlow's Toronto City Councilor for Ward 12, Toronto, St. Paul's. Um, it's really something. I, I don't know. Could you have foreseen a budget process quite like this when you got reelected, um, Josh, in the fall? Did you see all of this coming and sort of meeting together? It's, it's a lot for people to absorb. Well, it's a lot for people to absorb. And uh, in particular, even city councillors, now that with the strong mayor powers that John Tory requested from Doug Ford, 
he actually controls the budget in a way that is unprecedented. In fact, a lot of people don't even know that city councillors, while we will debate and vote on amendments to the budget, we actually don't get a vote on the budget anymore. It's entirely the mayor's due to the new strong mayor legislation. So, you know, in many respects, I even learned about, you know, many, many decisions that he's made through his press announcements rather than a thoughtful, uh, deliberative uh, discussion, you know, at a table where we could actually, you know, go through the budget line by line. Um, What we do know is that there seems to be a chronic shortfall by many hundreds of millions of dollars that the mayor is not really addressing this year. What he wants to do is kind of defer those off to another time. What will happen, though, if we if we deal with the budget that way and make, I think, very hopeful, aspirational assumptions that the province and feds are just going to come and bail us out, is that this can, the city is going to continue to erode. We're going to continue seeing our roads uh, fall into disrepair, our parks not being maintained, and our most vulnerable not getting the support and services that they need. I think we talked three weeks ago about the federal government, and there's there's no sign of this, correct? The, no. the, the province and Doug Ford committed money in November of 2022 to assist with the budget shortfall for, for the city of Toronto, but there's no sign of the federal government doing the same. Has that changed? Uh, it, it hasn't changed. So this is this is what, like, I just, again, forget one's ideology or political persuasion, just any reasonable person should look at this and see that the mayor has announced over and over again that he's the one who can get things done, he can work with everybody, he can work with the feds in the province and fix all our problems. In the budget proposal, there are hundreds of millions of dollars based on assumptions, which is reckless, assumptions that the province and the feds are going to bail us out by hundreds of millions of dollars. None of that has actually happened in real life so this is a creative accounting. This is, not, this is not actually a balanced budget. What's happening is that we are deferring things off to a time in the future when it's going to be even more expensive. And meanwhile, our city is going to continue to decline unless we actually get real about how to pay for the things we want to do. And um, the mayor's not doing that this year. Uh, so, you know, this is, this, is not, this is not a budget that actually fixes our problems. This is a budget that sort of touches on a number of things so he can tick off the boxes. He can do press conferences, Mm. but it doesn't actually get the job done. You wrote about this this morning uh, on Twitter and it's, it's, you know, based on, I'm sure pretty educated, um, educated listening and and speculation, but that John Tory may, while read what you wrote, Tory may want to put the decision off another year, referencing cafe TO referencing permanent bike lanes. Um, That's, that's, well, A, that's breaking news. B, that's awfully discon- disconcerting to people who were sure this was something that he supported permanently. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, I-, I described it as a bit of a riddle because, uh, the, you know, there are a number of credible sources that are suggesting that the mayor is gearing up to either he or he'll have a proxy uh, counselor move a motion uh, to uh, send off this decision for yet another year, even though. He seems to have told cycling advocates in the Toronto public that he supports the Young Street pilot because, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't be allowed to be there without his consent. He has that power. That being said, though, he's also, uh, I understand, telling those who oppose it uh, that 
um, in some way he's going to put this off and we're not going to make it permanent now. So it seems like he's saying different things to different audiences. And everyone's in the dark uh, today about exactly what he's going to do. But the reality is, is that it was he himself who actually cut the time frame of the pilot in half. And now he wants to just send this off into a year in the future. And meanwhile, you know, whether one agrees or disagrees with, with what, you know, what has been proposed, the staff report is finalized. Emergency services have not expressed concerns. Um, there, mm. you know, there, there's still work being done to address, I think, legitimate concerns because you cannot be obtuse to those. But to simply sort of just not want to deal with things and say different things to different audiences is not is not leadership in my view. Josh Matlow's our guest on Toronto today. Um, you probably saw the story about Moss Park and the trees there. Um, yes. a, a, a bunch of them cut down with chainsaws on Sunday. I know there's probably a lot of people. I, I know you've been, you know, adamant and passionate. <laughs> What's that? No, I, I, sorry, please go on. Go on, Greg. Well, no, no, I, I was going to say you've been adamant and passionate about the Osgood Hall scenario with the trees there. Um, did the Moss Park catch a lot of people by surprise? Because reading today that 61 trees were cut down uh, also for the Ontario line um, shocked a lot of people. Oh, you know, where I was jumping in is that I've actually heard some criticism of those of us who have said, you know, why is it necessary to just go in and just chop down all these trees by saying, well, don't you want transit built? Don't you want the Ontario line built? Of course we do. Um, like, I've been wanting to see the relief line and then, and then the Ontario line, as it was renamed, done years ago. But, you know, you can still believe that and, and also recognize that when there are reasonable, if not preferred alternatives to destroying some of the only green spaces we have in downtown Toronto, where we have large stands of trees. Osgood, like at Osgood, there have been trees there for over 200 years, and it's a national historic site. Moss Park, there were over 60 uh, trees that have just, you know, just been destroyed in one fell swoop. And there have been proposals such as, rather than just putting a one-story glass station box uh, at Mount Moss Park, on top of where the trees were, why wouldn't they put the station across the street and put it into a condo development where you could put affordable housing, affordable housing above the station box, and actually use that site better? Or you know, I, I, I mentioned, I said condo. It could be it could be purpose built rental. But the point is, is that there are ideas that should be considered that could even be better ideas. And the way that Metro Links works is that they just plow through, they do things at their own convenience. And as we've seen on Eglinton, that has led to cost overruns and years of delays, and they still can't competently determine how they're going to complete the project. I don't want to see that happen to the Ontario line. I don't want to see that happen to the communities along it. I don't want to see that happen to the small businesses that have lost everything along Eglinton happen on Ontario line. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to both protect our natural heritage and move forward with transit. I think it's lazy and irresponsible to simply just clear cut your way through to, you know, trying to trying to get that done. I think that's it, it's not the right way to build transit. Does Metrolinx have too much power? Absolutely, and they're completely unaccountable um, in, in any real way. Um, so, you know, it, it, people can come to their city councillors. Sometimes they go to their MPPs. Um, but Metrolinx is ostensibly an arm's length agency of the province, although they do really kind of take direction from the Minister of Transport. Mm -hmm. 
they, they have power above the city of Toronto. So when they work, they don't really have to consult with the city. They can, they can dictate to the city uh, at the end of the day. And I, I would like to see, um, you know, as I've said before, like rather than argue for strong mayor powers, I think we need strong Toronto powers. I think Toronto needs to have more actual say over a number of things, including land use planning, so that we can plan our city for communities and do it well. And, and be accountable, actually be on the ground where we are elected, where we are accountable to the people who live here. There's so much else I want to get to, but I've only got a couple minutes left. I want to ask you about those those new concepts and and uh, in terms of raising revenue. I brought up Vancouver, which has a 2.5 percent uh, hotel tax for not just hotels, but Airbnbs, Verbos, etc. And they're going to have it through 2030 simply to fund um, upgrades for the 2026 World Cup and their matches. Can we get creative? Will there be a lot brought to the table, not just in the in the next few days, but by the spring to think about revenue sources, whether it's the parking lot tax we've thought, talked about for malls. We just have to get really creative here. I, I don't know that there is a bad idea when it comes to, to covering some of the budget shortfalls. Well, and, and I and a, and a handful of others have been saying this for many years. John Tory has not wanted to move in this direction. I find it very rich that after nine years of being mayor, he's now saying we'll you know, start looking at those things later. Although he didn't actually prepare that for this budget. So you're absolutely right. I mean, listen, I, I get it. Like I, I don't, I mean, I recognize that I've got a civic responsibility to pay taxes because I want our society to function in our city to, to be healthy. But I like, of course, I don't enjoy paying, paying taxes because that means I've got less money in my household budget. I get that. That being said, that being said, if we want to do all the things that we're committing to, along with even just basic maintenance of our city, right? Even just maintaining the parks, fixing the roads, doing these things that we care about, let alone uh, building transit, uh, ensuring that people have access to housing, et cetera, then we've got to get real about having to pay for it. And we have to have an honest conversation uh, about how to do that. City, and you know, when I mentioned a strong Toronto, cities throughout the states and around the world actually have the ability to decide on the necessary revenue tools to, to actually fund their priorities. Yeah. Toronto has to go just hand and knee to the province and beg, and that, that has to change as well. Yeah, we've talked about that with so many U.S. cities that just don't have to do that. The city of Chicago doesn't have to beg the state of Illinois uh, to, yeah. to help them out for really important infrastructure projects and, all, um, and, all, and, all and make pivots right, like that. Let's just be honest with the people of Toronto. Like, if, if we're all yeah. satisfied with the status quo, let's do nothing. If we think we can do better, let's invest in it. But we have to make a decision. Have to. Josh, thanks so much for the time. We'll talk really soon. Thanks, Greg. You too. Josh you. Matlow joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Very pleased to welcome on uh, the leader for the New Democrats for the province of Ontario. It became official over the weekend, but she'd been uh, sort of running those laps as leader for uh, several months prior to the weekend. Um, Marit Stiles, our guest on Toronto Today. Always great to have our conversations. Thanks so much for being on. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. How'd the weekend make you feel? It had to be, it's, it's, it's a, a lot of people, right? You can't get here on your own and a lot of volunteers, a lot of people with your staff. Um, this, nobody thinks they're ever probably going to be the leader of a political party in a province like Ontario, but here you are. Yeah, no kidding. I, you know, I, I grew up in Newfoundland, came to Ontario when I was going to go to university in Ottawa and 
stayed here because I, I love this place and, and I, I was able to get, you know, good jobs and all that. But uh, it is, uh, it's really, it's really humbling. I got to say, really humbling. Um, very proud of our team and our party. And I'm, I'm just so excited about getting moving. You know, I, we, we never really stopped, but now is the time that we can uh, start that countdown uh, to end Doug Ford's government. I, I wondered about that because I think we, uh, you know, it, it was very tough. And I watched it. I think we both watched it during the federal uh, election in 2021, less so last spring with campaigning. But, you know, there were sort of bumps along the road because of, of the pandemic and, and some of the restrictions around it. Sure. This just feels like politics is a little more able to be, um, you know, we're able to do a little more of, w- of what we weren't able to do before. And that includes being out there and, and talking to constituents. Yeah, totally. You know, it is, it's great. I, I got to say the last six months getting out across the province and talking to people and being able to actually, you know, connect with people in person again. And, and I mean, mm-hmm. Zoom, look, we've all done a thousand Zooms and with our families and everybody and it's, and it's, it's really helped us, all of us, but, but there's nothing that beats actually sitting down and listening to people and connecting in person. And, uh, and there is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are struggling. Uh, and I need to hear those stories up front and, mm. and personal. Uh, but I also um, think this is how we generate that excitement that there's something better possible. And, and you can really connect with people in a totally different way uh, when you're in person. So it's been great. Mart Stiles, our guest, uh, uh, Ontario uh, New Democratic Party leader. Um, I know when I talk to leaders federally and provincially, the one thing they say, especially when they start, is I don't want to forget my own riding. And I'm sure that's mm. a big priority to you, the people of Davenport and, and maybe Toronto as a whole. You you are a Torontonian and it's tricky. You're responsible for the the needs and wants as opposition leader of, mm-hmm. of 15 million people now, really, with Ontario. They're probably going to come to you first to say, I want the NDP to do this. I want your party to be that. But you've also got people that elected you as an MPP in the first yeah. place. Is that is that a balancing act? Oh, for sure. I mean, and I think I'm sure that that is something that every and certainly I've talked to people who've been leaders. Uh, I went around and talked to lots of people in our party all across the country. And and, in fact, even from other parties about what their experience was. And yeah, there's there's, that's a real thing. But um, I have a really strong uh, community, uh, strong roots in my community, which I think will help a lot. But, you know, the thing I did the next day after the after the uh, it was all made officially at our big leadership event was uh, I went and we put on a, a skating party in a in a neighborhood rink in uh, in my riding. And uh, it was just so good to be back there with my community and the, the kids coming out and playing some music and you know, it, it is, it's good to know also that my community has uh, my back, which is great. Uh, and, you know, it is a, it's a pretty working class uh, riding, actually. So a lot of the issues that come up there are, even though it is in the middle of, you know, a big city like Toronto, they're, they're not that different from what I hear from people all across the province, actually. So I, I do think our message will connect uh, everywhere. I really do. I want to talk about the healthcare meeting in, uh, with the premiers and, and the prime minister mm-hmm. today, but but I, I have to ask you what your reaction was as a party leader to the courtship by some liberals of Mike Schreiner of the Green Party. I can imagine if you wanted to be Ontario NDP leader and you were advocating for yourself to be that, and then all of a sudden someone said in your own party said, ah, let's get Mike Schreiner to cross the floor instead. That, that might feel a little uh, demoralizing or insulting. I, I think it's caused some rifts within the liberal party. How do you observe it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like I always say, you know, they're going to do their own thing and, and it's not my concern, really. They, they're they doing their soul searching and uh, they've had some tough 
defeat. So I, I get it. You know, our party's been there two years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But my focus really is on defeating Doug Ford, you know, and so what they what they're up to right now in that conversation they're having, that's for them. I really think that uh, that what we have going for us in the official opposition NDP is is we have a party status, which means we have resources to that we could put behind our efforts to uh, fight for it on on some of his more egregious moves, but also uh, we have that unity, you know, that unity and strength behind a leader, which, you know, no, no question is, is great for, for us as a party. It helps me to move forward with a, a clear agenda. It's, it's very important. And I, uh, I think we really benefited from, from that in this race. If you were the premier, what would you tell the prime minister today um, about healthcare in Ontario? What's, what's needed? What's required? Well, there's no question that we, we do need more investment from the federal government. But uh, I would be hoping that the the, pre, the prime minister uh, would be looking for commitments from this government, from Doug Ford's government, that those dollars go to uh, aren't going to go to pad profits of private health care companies. Uh, you know, I want to see those dollars go into direct patient care. And I think the only way we can guarantee that is making sure that it goes into not-for-profit uh, public health care. And so I'm really concerned about, uh, you know, where Ford is taking things. I, we've talked about this before. The other mm-hmm. thing I would really like to see is a national strategy, a national plan to deal with the healthcare human resource uh, issues we have, like the, the nursing shortages that we're facing, you know, definitely here in Ontario, but all across the country. I, I want to see a national plan so we're not continuing to be poached and poaching others. Uh, we need to build up that workforce really fast, and we need also commitments from provinces, especially Ontario, to pay those people properly uh, so that we make sure they stay and provide that care that we need. The one thing I've heard a lot from listeners today and yesterday talking about it is is just the idea that uh, of the lack of, of of access. There's so many issues with it, but access to records, the fact that you can't oh, yeah. look up the last time, you know, like e- even we carry around these ridiculous crinkled up vaccination <laughs> cards for our kids. And yet I can look up anything to do with my bank statement, my mortgage, my car loan. Um, it, it makes no sense to me. Other countries have figured this out somewhere along the line mm-hmm. and, and we have not yet. Yeah, it's astonishing. I, I think like I talk to people about this all the time. I think it is it, we got to get our act together in Ontario. And, you know, there are we are actually like in Waterloo, for example, we have, you know, the center of a lot of innovation going on, the tech industry. Uh, I talk to folks out there. They have the solutions. There's no reason why we couldn't be uh, have you know electronic records and frankly transparency within our own our own records our own accounts like we should be able to access this uh, and I think we're well we, we know so much more than we did say 10 20 years ago even uh, there's no question we should be able to do that and it, we shouldn't have a situation where you you cross the street from one uh, hospital to uh, a clinic or something and and don't have and they don't have access to your records how is that possible. Uh, so we we need to have some ownership of that. Uh, we need a system that that is that is up to date, that is innovating, and that's an, you know that's such a good example mm-hmm. of the kinds of fixes that we could do to really change things within our public health care system, and that government is just leaving behind, and and we're not seeing movement there. Uh, so that's what I'd like to see. I, yesterday, Doug Ford, or the day before, they said, oh, we're going to cancel, we're going to get rid of the fax machines. I mean. We all kind of giggled, I think, because it's true. <laughs> like, how are we still? How are we still using fax machines in the healthcare system? 
Yeah, like that it's, is it's the state of things right now, right? And and it's taken us this long to get there. So we have a lot of work to do, and that's what I mean by you know those dollars need to go to patient care, but the innovation can happen mm-hmm. within the public health care system. Yeah, we're in full agreement there. Thanks so much for the time. Congratulations on the weekend, and and I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks very much, Mart. Thank you, Mart Styles uh, joining us, Ontario NDP leader.